Please turn with me to John chapter 5. After this, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a religious festival. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool with five porches. In Hebrew, it is called Bethsatha. A large crowd of sick people were lying on the porches. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. A man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that the man had been sick for such a long time. Do you want to get well? Sir, I don't have anyone here to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else gets there first. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. This happened was a Sabbath, so the Jewish authorities told the man who had been healed, This is a Sabbath, and it is against our law for you to carry your mat. The man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who is the man who told you to do this? But the man who had been healed did not know who Jesus was, for there was a crowd in that place, and Jesus had slipped away. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. You're well now. So stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Then the man left and told the Jewish authorities that it was Jesus who had healed him. So they began to persecute Jesus because he had done this healing on a Sabbath. Jesus answered them, My father, 
is always working. And I too must work. This saying made the Jewish authorities all the more determined to kill him. Not only had he broken the Sabbath law, but he had said that God was his own father, and in this way had made himself equal with God. So Jesus answered them, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing on his own. He does only what he sees his father doing. What the father does, the son also does. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in John chapter 4, he left Jerusalem and Judea and journeyed down to Galilee and went through Samaria, stayed there for two days, and then arrived in Galilee and ministered there. I don't know how long he was there, but then he went back to Jerusalem to celebrate another feast. He had been in Jerusalem for the Passover, and now he was going back for another feast. The people of Israel have three festivals every year that they celebrate. Seven feast days, but actually three festivals in which those days are part of. And so this may very well have been the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 2, now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. The city of Jerusalem has gates around it. Each gate has a name. And at the Sheep Gate, there's a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means house of grace, or you could say house of mercy. But in Hebrew and Aramaic, Bethesda also means disgrace or shame. Keep that in mind. There's space for that in your notes. Verse 3, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And this is what they were waiting on. Verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, some would say, because this isn't in all the manuscripts, this was actually a superstition. Angels never really came down, and John just related this is what they believed, this is why they were there. The concept of healing waters is not foreign to us. Anybody ever been to Mineral Wells, Texas? You can buy their water, crazy water. It's available at certain grocery stores. It was believed to have healing waters. So this is what was happening there. Verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, what kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? Maybe because some people don't want to be made well. What I'm about to say is not to condemn any sick people, but there are some people that benefit. It's almost a career of being sick. It's true. Some people are determined to be sick. There's a disorder. I forgot what it's called. Of somebody always diagnosing themselves and and it's really bad when they do it to their kids. There's a price to being healed. If you're on disability, you have to kiss that goodbye if you're no longer disabled, right? It wouldn't be a person of integrity because it's hard to get the disability and then to lose it. Anyway, Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, he doesn't know who he's talking to. 
He says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, dragging himself there, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. What an unusual story. Here's this place surrounded by sick people, and Jesus goes and heals one of them. Now, he said he only did what the Father showed him to do, and he only said what the Father told him to say. And the Father told him to go there and heal one person. Now, we know that no one ever came to him asking for healing that they didn't receive it. But there were times he was on assignment where he was directed to go and do one thing. If other people jumped out of the water and came to him, heal me too, I'm sure he would have healed them. But here in this story, we see one person healed. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, verse 9, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now here is Bethesda, the house of grace, which also could be called disgrace, which that name stuck because here's people wanting to be healed and yet they're experiencing the disgrace that life had handed them. Here's a guy healed and people aren't happy about it. And they try to disgrace the guy because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Verse 12, Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. So he's walking all over Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple, maybe for the first time in his life, because to go there you had to be well. You couldn't have things wrong with you. So he's looking at the temple, and Jesus finds him and says to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, sin can make you sick. Say that sin can make us sick. But sin doesn't always make us sick. And sickness isn't always because we sin. In John chapter 9, in a few weeks, we'll see another story where there's a blind man who was blind from birth, and the disciples asked Jesus, okay, who, who sinned in this situation? Did he sin or did his parents? You know, he was born blind. So did he sin or did his parents? Is this some kind of generational curse? And in that case, Jesus said neither. Nobody sinned. Obviously, Adam sinned. (laughs) Sin came in the human race, and sickness and disease came about as a result of sin. But in his case, he didn't sin. And so if you are sick and have anything wrong with you, don't let somebody come and accuse you of sinning. You must have sinned. You must have opened the door to the enemy somewhere. That's not always the case. Here, it was the case. For 38 years, this guy had to think about why he was in that condition. Was he ready to receive some grace in the house of grace? Yes, he was. But the experts, you know what an expert is, a former drip under pressure, were ready to take his grace away and shame him for carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. 
Now, he'd been having Sabbath days for 38 years. Every day of the week was a Sabbath to him because he certainly wasn't working. He was resting, right? But lo and behold, Jesus makes a mistake in the eyes of the experts and does something on the Sabbath day. So here Jesus tells him, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. So sin can make us sick. It can. We won't get into what that is. You can let your imagination go wild. Sin can spread disease. You can catch it. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Some people accused him of being a Judas for doing this. He's a traitor. I cut him some slack. This guy's been sick for 38 years. Jesus just told him not to sin. He didn't turn around and go sin. He did not know the viciousness of these people. He wanted them to enjoy the grace he had received as well. Hey, the guy that healed me is over there. Well, rather than going and just asking some questions, they wanted to attack him. Verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus really lit him up. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like Man, that must have really made him mad. Now, let me say this about the Sabbath. It was part of the law. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's mentioned three times in the books of Moses. The law was given through Moses while God was freeing this nation from slavery, separating them from the idolatrous cultures of the world. The law of the Old Testament forged a new culture for the Israelis. Contained within its 600-plus commandments were instructions on certain penalties as well as what to do for obtaining God's forgiveness after violating any one or more of those commands. Capital punishment was one of the penalties for specific acts of wrongdoing. However, the breaking of commands all required the death of an innocent sacrificial animal to make amends with God who had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. In an effort to better behave over the years, overly religious people added new rules to what God gave Moses. Lawyers got involved. Adding to the law, they established new traditions that they valued as highly as the original commands. This is what we call legalism. For example, these devout folks began to take extra measures to make sure they never violated the Sabbath, which originally was simply to be a day of holy rest but they made it a day of working as judges and measurers. Going beyond simply resting and not working, on a holy day they began saying that no one could pick fruit to eat because that could be called harvesting, which is work. Women could not look in the mirror lest they be tempted to pull out a gray hair because that could be considered harvesting. Carrying your bedding was considered work, and so was healing someone considered work. Unless the sick person was at the point of death, then a physician could work. If your ox fell in the ditch, you could pull him out on the Sabbath day. 
But here's a man who's been sick 38 years, but they don't consider that a life and death situation, and they're upset about it. After ailing for 38 years, his parade got rained on by these who valued their traditions more than people and more than the Word of God, who happened to be standing before them in the flesh as the Lord of the Sabbath. The verse I would really like to look at as a theme is verse 17. Jesus said, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. God is always working because He sustains the universe. If He stops sustaining the universe, the whole thing would fall apart. So the Sabbath isn't for Him. It's for us. Now, I know God created creation according to Genesis 1 in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. And there is a rest that is available to the New Testament child of God. There's a rest available to us that I think many times we fall short of, and we'll get into that a little bit today. I would like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Jesus is... Lord of the Sabbath. Can we say he is Lord of the Sabbath? He is Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus said this, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And after making that statement that he was Lord of the Sabbath in Luke 6, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and heals a man with a withered hand. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord, the Lord of rest. The leaders of religion in Israel originally had good intentions, but they began to add traditions. The way they celebrated the Sabbath, they began to add it to the law and made their tradition as inspired in their eyes as the law. Can I have three volunteers just come on up? This is Lois McKee. We give her a hand. We'll say that Lois is the command to keep the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Let it be a day of rest. The religious leaders can't just make that stand. They want to enforce it. So how do they celebrate it gets added to it. And they begin to add measurements. So we'll say that Greg is religious tradition, all right? If you're going to rest on the Sabbath day, you can't walk such a distance. We'll say you can't walk more than an hour's journey or however far it is. And we add that, step over there by Lois, we add that tradition to the law. And so imagine a cluster of Greg's around Lois. And so the law just becomes a great big burden of things you have to keep. You can't turn a light switch on. You can't, you know, wash your dishes. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it was meant to be a day of rest, not a day of can'ts so much, but a day of rest, trusting God. But as all legalists do, they have loopholes. That's the definition of a legalist, someone who knows all the rules and their loopholes. And so we'll say Scott is a legalistic loophole. If you wanted to walk further than a Sabbath day's journey from your home, You tie a rope to your house and take it to wherever you want to go 
And it doesn't have to be the full distance. As long as the end of that rope is within a Sabbath day's journey, it's fine. That rope is considered part of your house because it's attached to it. So go over there by grade. So now we've got the original law, the traditions, and the loopholes. And imagine a cluster of loopholes around that. It's not long before lawyers are running the nation. And the Sabbath day is a day of judging, not a day of enjoying. Thank you so much. And our own day and time, here in America, we have certain traditions. That if we're not careful, we'll make them as important as the New Testament. Does anybody have a hat here? Can you just put your hat on right quick? Just put your hat on. That breaks tradition for some people. Because in this culture, you go to the courthouse. Who goes to the courthouse? Lawyers. You don't wear your hat. So the house of God's more important than a courthouse, right? So we don't wear our hats. Other churches have traditions of dressing up. I'm not throwing stones at them. I'm just letting you know. They have traditions of dressing up. We had church for six years in a place that was cooled by window units and very poorly insulated. And the heat in that place burned the neckties off of us and we never went back to it. At least that's the story we tell. That's our press release. We didn't like him to begin with. But but some people feel you're not honoring God. If you went to see the president, you'd wear your best. And we are coming to worship the king of kings. And so we must wear our best. And we make that cultural reality part of the scriptures. But there's loopholes. You know, if you're going on vacation right after church, then people will understand. Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of legalism. I want to talk about four ways that legalism can capture us. And if it hits you between the eyes, just tell yourself, Pastor Allen's preaching to himself. Number one, legalism can capture us by our being unforgiving, unmerciful, and judgmental. If you judge people by their outward appearance, you're in danger of becoming legalistic. Because what will happen is you'll become an inspector. You'll become a Pharisee. Well, we don't need those kind of people here. Oh, really? Jesus died just for you? But I don't like that kind of haircut. Or I don't like, well, okay, that's your personal taste. But when it comes to the gospel, let's keep it pure. And we'll be eat up with being ruled by things we don't like when unforgiveness harbors in our heart because we don't want the spotlight on us. So we'll put it on everything else out here because we don't want to deal with the condition of our heart. When bitterness is in my heart, I have some homework to do with the master, don't I? But if I run from that, I become harsh. I become just like the person I won't forgive, basically unmerciful. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the merciful for they shall. So it just breeds on itself. We become judgmental. 
become legalistic. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an old song we sang in church. When I was a kid growing up, I especially remember singing it in West Africa. The chorus goes, Oh, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed. For I am meek and lowly. Come and trust my might, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Lord, you came to save us, not condemn us, not add to our burdens. You came to fulfill the law. Thank you that you said the law hangs on Two commandments, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to walk in that. And Lord, if we've picked up any religion along the way that makes us harsh and judgmental, we ask you, Lord, to free us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Another way legalism can capture us is by putting our personal convictions on others. We all have the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth. And He leads us according to His strength in us to deal with the weakness that was in us, right? And so there may be certain things the Holy Spirit leads you not to do that aren't in the Bible. But for you, He's calling you to get up at 5 a.m. and pray for an hour. But for us to make that a law and put that on everybody, guess what happens? Death sets in. We become Pharisees, and prayer becomes a drudgery rather than a joy and a privilege, and we partake of the leaven of the Pharisees. Maybe alcohol is a weakness, so you don't go to a liquor store to buy a Coke. That's a good idea. But don't make me drive clear across town when there's a liquor store next door and I want to buy a Coke and it's not a weakness for me. I can go in there and buy a Coke. In Acts chapter 15, the early church leaders met together to discuss whether or not Gentile Christians had to keep the law of Moses. Now Jesus came and told us how to live and he elevated the law of Moses to matters of the heart. And he gave us about 70 commands. And told his followers to go and make disciples and teach them to observe everything I commanded you. So here's the early church leaders meeting together. Now what do we do with these Gentile Christians in regards to not the commands of Christ, but the commands of Moses? What do we do? And this is what they wrote for us. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. The spokesman is James, a brother of Jesus. He knew him the best. And this is what they wrote to lay on you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, 
from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So, when it comes to our relationship to the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament through the commands of Christ. And that's how we are called to live. And if we read the Old Testament and look at the New Testament, this is the application of the Old Testament to us. These things were part of the law that they determined was important for us to partake of. We could get into some reasons why and all that, but that's not important. The important thing is, is this is not hard. Aren't you glad? There are people that insist we have church on Saturday. That's fine. Do it. But don't judge us if we have church on the Lord's Day, the day that he arose. If we were going to keep the Sabbath, it is Saturday. The Sabbath didn't get changed to Sunday. The point is, we've come to Jesus. He is our Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. There's a rest that remains for the child of God. Going to go to church on Saturday? That's great. Go. But don't make it a law because we're not living under the law of Moses anymore. Christ fulfilled the law. The law ultimately led to death. I mean, you read the Old Testament, it is full of death. It leads to death. And so to attempt to live by the law of Moses, you're going to wind up picking and choosing. And there are Christians that are doing this. I've got a dear friend that I talk to sometimes. I said, you can't keep all 600 of those commands. Yes, I can. I said, you can't keep animal sacrifice. Oh, well, we don't have the temple yet. I said, well, the temple's not mentioned in the law. The purpose of the law was to show us we needed a Savior. And to set up a sacrificial system looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice when God would send his son, who through their understanding of the law was condemned to death because he said he was the son of God. That's why they killed him. And it was a sin if it wasn't true. But because it was true, it wasn't a sin. But in their eyes, because they didn't believe, he needed to die. It was a setup from the get-up. God predestined it. So the law has been fulfilled. He nailed the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, including all the traditions and all the loopholes, and showed us how to live. Are you glad about it? Thirdly, legalism can capture us by misapplying and or adding to the Bible. When we misapply the Scriptures, we can get into legalism and we add to the Scriptures. Colossians 2, 15 through 17 says, Let no one judge you in food, or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths. Nobody has a right to judge you, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Christ is the substance. It's Him. You want to wear a shawl over your head when you pray? That's fine. But understand what the shawl symbolizes. That Jesus wore one, and the tassels on the end were symbolic of healing. And it may very well have been what the woman grabbed who had the issue of blood. But it's a money-making business to sell legalistic trinkets and bring people under bondage when the substance of those things is Jesus. It all pointed to Jesus. Oh, but I've got an anointing oil from the Holy Land. Great, great. That's wonderful. 
Yes, but I blow a real shofar. Wonderful, wonderful. But understand that the trumpet came. God manifests in the flesh, and the trumpet will blow again one day when he comes back. Don't lose sight of the substance. A few verses later, it says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is the living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? The world in which we live is bound up with regulations. I think the law books of America are over 150,000 pages. Come a long way from 600 commandments. My whole Bible, I think, is less than 1,300 pages. Man just regulates things and, and complicates things. But in Christ, we are free to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit according to the commands of Christ. His yoke is what? It really is. And here's some regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom with self-imposed religion. You know, adding measurements to keeping the Sabbath appeared to be wisdom. You know, if we keep these extra rules, then we'll never violate it. I don't like gray areas. I want it black and white. So let's add some more rules. And if we keep those, then we'll never violate it. So it appears to have wisdom, but it's foolishness. Because God's word is enough. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, our flesh is so ungodly that it will indulge or take pride in the fact it's not indulging. There was a guy who went on a 40-day fast in Zimbabwe, and he gave a daily report on how things were going and how things were going to be. When I get off this fast, there's going to be signs and wonders and miracles. God's going to move when I complete the 40th day. He just gave daily reports. Boy, this is really hard. And according to what Jesus said, that was his glory. He talked about it. That's his reward. His flesh was indulging in not indulging. This is a peril of legalism. Pride. Finally, by not receiving grace for ourselves. Legalism gets a hold of us when we don't receive grace for ourselves. Jesus died for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 begins, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then as workers together with him plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And the next verse says today is a day of salvation. We receive the grace of God in vain when we don't walk in the reconciliation we've been given and we don't walk in it with one another. He became sin for us that we might become His righteousness. We've been made His righteousness. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Come on, I do not have all day. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, you should be. But then again, that's why you're here, isn't it? 
Yes. I mean, I think here is the right place. Uh, that's where they sent me. Who is they? The uh, Office of Paybacks. Oh, good people. Go on. Well, they thought that you might be able to help me with my problem. <laughs> well, from the looks of things, I doubt it. But uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me what your problem is, and we'll try. Okay, well, I don't really know how to say this. Oh, please, I can hardly stand the suspense. I'm sorry. Look, the Department of Redundancy Department is two doors down. Okay, fine. I just don't feel like I'm living up to people's expectation of me. Finally. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, you're certainly in the right place. Let's start your paperwork. So what'll it be? Failure of motherhood form GA-429, neglectful wife form GA-176, or kitchen deficiencies form GA-299. There's a form for all of these. Listen, you came down here because you feel guilty, remember? Here's how it works. You come to us, you fill out a form for all the areas in your life where you're failing, and in four to six weeks we will send you a complete evaluation of what a truly lousy person you are and exactly how badly you should feel about it. Oh, I feel worse already. Well, we aim to please. So, which form will it be, or do you need one of each? Uh, do you have one for being a lousy Christian? Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh -oh? We get a lot of you Christians in here. Guilt is a big thing with you people. But I hate to tell you this. You're in the wrong place. Oh. You Christians don't need a guilt administrator. Why not? Well, I've seen it a thousand times, so I decided to do a little bit of research. It appears that you have this grace thing going for you. Oh, oh, I know all about that. The thing is, I'm not very good at being a Christian, so. Oh. Well, yeah, I just don't feel like I'm living up to God's expectation of me. You know, I mean, I try really hard. It's just I can't seem to get it all together. I, I must have broken like a million rules. You mean like the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and all that stuff? I make that like a million and eleven rules. Look, this really isn't my place, and I could lose my job. But I can tell you, I really think that you got it all wrong. No, I don't. Please, just give me the form and I'll fill you it up. You don't need any forms. All you need is this. Oh, wait. That's how I got here in the first place, okay? All the rules and expectations. No. No one gets to a guilt administrator except they go through me. And I'm telling you, you don't belong here. Well, what am I supposed to do now? I tell you what. You take this. You do your research. See what you think. Now, I got work to do. Go on. Next. <laughs> the gospel is how we got here. And the gospel is how we live. It's not just for the kids in children's church. It's for me and for you. John 3.16 says... For God, we say God, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-seeing, creator, the uncaused cause, most high, the almighty God. So loved, purposely, inconceivably, unconditionally, wholeheartedly, most mercifully loved 
the world, yes, the wicked, wayward, rebellious, unrepentant, most sinful world that he gave sacrificially, generously, unreservedly, magnificently, most liberally gave his only, only means soul, unique, peerless, matchless, one of a kind, his only son, his child, the seed, his delight, the promise, his visible image, most precious firstborn son, that whoever, anyone, everyone, all the ones, D.L. Osborne used to say, means you're the one. Mostly we're the one, whoever believes in, faiths on, hopes for, relies upon, depends the most, and believes in Him, our Lord, the Savior, our Messiah, the Redeemer, most righteous, Him should not perish, be banished, be separated, be abandoned, be condemned, be made most hopeless, not perish, but have, possess, receive, obtain, retain, partake of the most, but have everlasting Undying, not ending, nor ceasing, without stopping, most enjoyable, everlasting life. Free, eternal, fulfilling, abundant, most quality, most quantity, life. Are you and I walking in the life that he came to give us? Beware of legalism and walk in the life in which he's given us. His life is not a license to sin. His life brings freedom from sin. And His Word clarifies what sin is. And we must study to show ourselves approved, according to the New Testament, rightly dividing the Word of truth so that we not be ashamed or disgraced. May our church be a house of grace and not a house of disgrace. Can we stand? Confess with me, I am a child of God. I have been saved by grace, kept by grace, and I will go on by grace. I am being changed by grace, healed by grace, empowered by grace. The gospel is how I got here. The gospel is how I stay here. The gospel is leading me on. Lord, I pray that the reality of your love for every member of this congregation, everyone under the sound of my voice, it would be more real than ever before. If anyone living under false guilt and condemnation, I pray, Lord, that you would free them. Anyone living under bondage to sin, I pray, Lord, you reveal the cause of it. Lord, uproot the root in Jesus' name. Amen.